kind of an emotional word to sing, isn't it? The, the prayer that we as people of God, that we would be a place where no one stands alone. Certainly God is in our midst, and our prayer more and more is that, that as we gather together, that, that no one would stand alone, that we would continue to be knit together as the family of God that he's drawn together and purchased with the blood of his own son. So again, let me just echo what Leah said. Thank you for, for gathering here in this space and for worshiping um, with your heart. Today we, we conclude this series that we've been in for the past several weeks, and that, that song, those words that we just sang, lead us to a rather fitting conclusion here to this, to this series. We've been talking about now for, for two months, about our cloud of witnesses, about some key relationships that are spiritually beneficial to us. And, and you can see here, you've been looking at this all for the last several weeks, so each one of these hopefully will fire some, some memories of certain places in Scripture where we've been for the last few weeks. And these biblical character studies that we've been walking through, and the, the idea, just to remind you one last time, the idea here is for us to be thinking about some of these key relationships and asking the, the question, so who would be your Epaphras, or who would be your Barnabas, and who does God call you to be a godly mentor to, and, and to whom can you be like the young, young Timothy? And so we've been asking these, these questions now for, for quite some time, and and again, you've been looking at these names, and you've, you've been seeing this now for several, for several weeks. So just as, a, as one, final, one final reminder here, as we go through this, we think about these relationships, nearly every one we've highlighted, eight so far, today being the ninth. Every one of these previous eight relationships, they have something to offer you. They have something to offer me. So with, with Barnabas, for instance, that's just an easy one to go to, we said repeatedly that every one of us, we need a, a source of encouragement, a source of godly encouragement in our lives, right? And, and not just one, we, you can't have too many Barnabases in your life because we all need that kind of encouragement. You can't have too many Epaphrases. Remember that one, we, we worked out through the book of Colossians, but you can't have too many people committing to pray for you. And, and for you personally, I, I hope that, that that particular message challenged you to, to try and be a person who wrestles in prayer for those who are around you. And on and on it goes with each one of these. Every one of those eight so far has something to give us, and for that we give thanks. But today we close out with a relationship, as Lee said, it is a little different, because today we're talking about one relationship in particular that, that I've identified that requires so much of us. If these other eight have something to give us, this is the one that requires the most out of us. And today, he's right here, we spend our time talking about Zacchaeus. Some of you are kind of reading our mail ahead of time, weeks in advance, people would ask, okay, so who's that one, who's that one, that one looks like my cousin, or, you know, this one looks like so-and-so, the silhouette behind us, but for some, they, they knew pretty immediately, that one's got to be Zacchaeus, right, the wee little man from the VBS Song. So for those of you who, who predicted it weeks ago, you're right. Today we, we close out by talking about Zacchaeus. But the language that we'll use today to talk about him, this biblical character from the book of Luke, he is a lonely outcast. And in light of what we just sang, I think we have much to hear with this biblical story. 
If you have your Bible, I'd invite you to open them up to Luke chapter 19. That's where we'll spend the majority of our time today. We'll focus on that story there in Luke 19. I actually want to take you back, and I'd like for us to read the, the end of chapter 18 before we work our way into chapter uh, 19. Chapter 19 is Luke's telling of this, this story that is unique to Luke about Zacchaeus. And again, this language is important. He's an outcast. He's a bit of a misfit. He, he is on the periphery. He's on the fringe, at least when we meet him. But before we read his story, I think it's important that we hear the story just before this, the, the passage that, that Luke records as Jesus approaches Jericho. So at the end of chapter 18, starting in verse 35, let's read this one to help us prepare to read about Zacchaeus. Luke 18, starting in verse 35, this is the, the word of God. As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside, begging. When he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening. And they told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who led the way rebuked him. And they told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and ordered the man to be brought to him. When he came near, Jesus asked him, What do you want me to do for you? Lord, I want to see, he replied. And Jesus said to him, Receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. And when all the people saw it, they also praised God. So Jesus approaches Jericho. He's making his way to Jerusalem. Beginning in chapter 9 of Luke's gospel and all the way through 19, Jesus has set his face toward Jerusalem. So the teaching along the way begins to intensify. Jesus talks more about discipleship in this section than any place else in Luke's gospel. He has more to say about the cross in this section than anywhere else in Luke's gospel. And so he's working his way toward Jerusalem. He knows what must happen there. But as he nears, he passes through Jericho and he encounters this blind man. Mark's gospel tells us his name. His name is Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus is there, he's seated on the side of the road, and as Jesus approaches, Bartimaeus cries out, and you caught the, the terminology, he calls Jesus son of David, son of David, have mercy on me. And this is significant, this is more than just Bartimaeus saying that David was, was the great, great, great grandfather of Jesus, although that is true, no, this is a messianic title. This is Bartimaeus saying, you are the Messiah, may you long sit on the throne of David. May you sit on his throne forever and ever. This is what Bartimaeus is saying as Jesus approaches. He's making a statement about the identity of Christ. And the crowd tries to shut him up. They try to say, yeah, be quiet. You're a distraction. Quit yelling all that stuff. But he just refuses. He keeps yelling all the more loudly because if Bartimaeus doesn't yell these words, then the rocks themselves might just cry out the identity of who Jesus is. And Jesus stoops low and he interacts with Bartimaeus and he says to him, as we read, what do you want me to do? And he says, I just want to see. And Jesus does this, this alignment. Bartimaeus is the only one who has had the spiritual sight to be able to see who Jesus is. In this crowd, this throng of followers, 
Bartimaeus, the blind man, is the one who sees most clearly. And so Jesus aligns his physical sight with his spiritual sight, and he performs this miracle. And the people begin to praise God. And this, I think, is an important story. It's an important piece that helps us understand what happens next with Zacchaeus. Because both of these Jericho stories are about seeing. The blind man just wants to see Jesus. And as we'll see here next from Luke chapter 19 with Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus too just wants to see Jesus. So the gospel continues now into Luke 19. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax collector, and he was wealthy. And this part I've highlighted on the screen. He wanted to see who Jesus was. Seeing is one of the key elements in both of these stories. So he wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and he climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. Let's pause right there for a minute and, and just talk. Jesus enters Jericho with the praises of all these followers, this, this band of people who's following him around. They're singing his praises. And so Jesus enters Jericho to the sounds of, of this, this praise. And so this mass of people is surrounding Jesus. So the mass of people coupled with his short status right? A wee little man. <laughs> Coupled with, you know, all that put together means that Zacchaeus can't see Jesus. He has a hard time seeing, just like Bartimaeus had a hard time seeing. Zacchaeus comes at this from behind the eight ball, but, but it's more than his short stature that is impeding his sight. You see, Zacchaeus, according to Luke, an important detail there, he is a tax collector, so he is the one who's, who's been making his fortune by climbing up the, the ladder, climbing to the top rung of the most despised profession in the ancient world. Maybe the most despised profession in our world as well, right? He's a tax collector. And in particular, he, he collects taxes for the Roman government. Important detail that Judea is under Roman occupation, and so... Zacchaeus, as a tax collector, he is, is wearing this mantle, this occupation that was generally considered to be not only pretty shady, pretty underhanded, but also this, pretty unpatriotic. You see, again, to collect taxes from your fellow Hebrews, to collect taxes from your fellow Judeans, just to go straight into, into the Roman coffers, it's considered a real betrayal. Imagine how you would feel if for whatever reason this place was occupied by some sort of enemy threat and one of our own was a sellout and was working for that government. How would that make you feel as an American? Well, the Israelites felt the same way. They felt the same way toward their tax collectors, but they felt even more strongly about those who were chief tax collectors. So we're told that in the Roman world, the way this would work, if, if you were the chief tax collector, you would pay Rome in advance for the price point of that particular tax area. So whatever it might be, you would pay that in advance. And then it was incumbent upon you to go out and to collect those taxes. And anything that you collected above and beyond your price point that you paid for that particular area, that was profit for you. 
So you can imagine how this, this system, it just breeds corruption, right, and dishonesty. So we're talking about Zacchaeus, the chief tax collector, the guy in town that everybody loves to hate. The guy that has built his fortune and lives in the nice neighborhood and has the yacht and has the, you know, the big suburban or like whatever it would be for you, the guy with the country club membership, you know, but he has all of that because he's been dipping his hand into your pocket routinely. Some of you are seething even now as you think about it. This is how Zacchaeus was perceived in his own community. And there's this point of irony here. Zacchaeus, his Hebrew name, Zacchaeus. In Hebrew, you know what that name means? It means innocence, <laughs> right? It means purity. And there's this kind of ironic thing because it's been years since Zacchaeus has been able to claim innocence or purity. But even that name is a little bit of a hint, a little foreshadowing of what Jesus is up to here. Let's keep reading. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. This is mind-blowing. Jesus comes to the place and says, Zacchaeus, come down. I'm coming to your house, son. And so he came down. He came down at once and welcomed him gladly. Language of hospitality. And all the people saw this. And they began to mutter. He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. I love the picture that Luke paints for us here. Again, it's this picture of Jesus coming to Jericho. He's fresh on the heels of this miraculous uh, healing of Bartimaeus. And so you can just picture the scene. I want you to hear it. I want you to kind of smell it. Imagine being there and just the buzz of frenetic activity as people are saying, hey, did you hear? Did you hear what happened? That old that blind man who sits on the side of the road, Bartimaeus. Yeah, I remember him. What? Well, Jesus came through. This, this, this teacher, this prophet, Jesus came through and healed him. And now Bartimaeus can see. What? Get out of here. That guy's been sitting there my whole life. Yeah, I know, but now he's following Jesus around and he's singing his praises. Come on out. Everybody's talking about it. And so the crowds just begin to swell. They're, they're surrounding Jesus. And I picture all of these people coming out to see what the commotion is all about. And all of the, maybe the dignitaries, maybe the really important people in Jericho have kind of pushed their way to the front. Hey, I need to I have a front row seat, all right? I want tickets right there on the 50-yard line. I want to see what is happening here. And in the midst of all of that commotion, Jesus pauses and looks above the fray above the crowd to see this man dangling from a tree and he talks to him he's not talking to the mayor of jericho or the city council you know the chamber of commerce you know there's none of that jesus is really like engaged in it. what we get though is jesus talking to the guy in town that everybody loves to hate but not only that not only does jesus see him but jesus engages in dialogue with him he calls him by name like they're old friends hey zacchaeus what's going on man you need to get down out of that tree i need to come to your place the way luke tells the story it's as if jesus is saying you know i'm gonna i need to sleep on your couch tonight come on down let's spend some time together and i just picture all those who are standing around how frustrated they are how upset they are. Jesus, doesn't he know any better? 
He's talking to the guy up in the tree. What about me? You know, I'm picturing this, you know, this, this, this mom, this, this lady in town who's like upset that Jesus is going to Zacchaeus' house. And she was hoping he would come over to her place and, you know, the fried chicken and biscuits and gravy. You know, she's ready to like impress Jesus because of all she can cook. And, and I picture like the, the, the wealthy man there standing there. And, he, you know, he's the one hoping to have this conversation with Jesus. But Jesus like looks above him and sees Zacchaeus dangling from a tree and has this conversation with this one who is on the outside looking in and you hear those conversations in fact we don't have to imagine what that sounded like because luke tells us they were muttering verse 7 all the people saw this and they began to mutter he has gone to be the guest of a sinner the posture of the muttering is like with the arms crossed right the the the, the posture there is one of outrage and shock and disappointment what is jesus doing going to be the guest of a sinner does he not know he should come and be a guest of a righteous man like me right that's muttering Do, does he not know you come and sit at my table i might be able to teach him a thing or two jesus you know that's the muttering that is going on as as jesus interacts with zacchaeus and what i take away from that is trying to follow jesus there'll always be muttering <laughs> there'll always be those those mutterers who are outraged who are upset there'll always be the muttering that comes along because if, if you're trying to follow jesus inevitably it's going to lead you to some places that some people might not approve of because that's where you're going to find the outcasts and if you're following jesus there's always going to be some muttering because jesus is going to lead you to people who are outcasts people who don't fit the mold people who don't look like you or talk like you or maybe they have some baggage maybe they have some things in their life in the past maybe they have some things in their life in the present right if we're following jesus there, i guess there'll always be muttering but jesus doesn't seem too concerned about that he doesn't seem terribly upset over what that's going to do to his reputation that if Jesus goes to the home of a sinner, a, a ritually unclean home, too, by the way, right? Jesus doesn't seem to doesn't seem to bother him so much. I think what is most concerning for Jesus is this one who's on the outside. Jesus is really interested in the hostility between Zacchaeus and his community. There, he's concerned that this guy's been excluded. He's concerned that he's up a tree. In fact, you could say that that same level of concern is what gets Jesus up a tree himself couple chapters when they hang him on a cross for outcasts like you and me to be fair the people are right about Zacchaeus I mean he is a sinner right he is a public sinner his his sins are well known his occupation is unethical and he has benefited greatly from putting a heavy burden on the people so I get it I really really do Zacchaeus is a far cry from his namesake as an innocent man but the point that we want to stress this morning, the point worth making here is how Jesus deals with him. And Jesus has such a heart for Zacchaeus because Jesus always has a heart for Zacchaeus. He always has a heart for the outcast, for the reject, for the one who's up a tree. Before we read the conclusion of this story with Zacchaeus, I think it's important to ask the question that we've been asking with this series the whole way through. So who is the Zacchaeus in your life? 
Who's the, the outsider? Who's the lonely outcast, the one who stands outside the camp? Who do you know who's up, up a tree? You know, spiritually, emotionally, economically, maybe even physically. You know, what, what would those things be that would, that would separate them and keep them, you know, out, outside the camp? It, it might, be, might be a little difficult to identify as Zacchaeus at first because, because they're easy to overlook. Who's the outsider that you know by name? That question convicts me. Even with Bartimaeus, we have to go all the way over to Mark's gospel to figure out the guy's name, but he's a bit of a Zacchaeus himself. Again, he's the one, he's there on the side of the road, he's relegated to the sideline, and he's the one with this problem that he just just won't be quiet. You have somebody in your life, and they have so many problems, and every time you see them, you just think, oh boy, here we go again, I don't have the energy to hear this, it's like same song, 20th verse. Well, that's Bartimaeus. And count yourself fortunate if you're not one of those people who have that same sort of sad song going on, because if you're Bartimaeus and you're stuck on the side of the road and you have a chance to receive healing, you and I both would be screaming and yelling just like him. And the whole, the whole time the crowd's like, be quiet. No one cares about your blindness. Just be quiet. Jesus is coming through. We have to act like we have it all together here. And he says, Lord Jesus, son of David, would you have mercy on me? Jesus comes up and says, what do you want, son? I just want to see. I love that. Here's a really uncomfortable truth that I wrestle with. You probably won't find too many Zacchaeuses on a church pew. A lot of these other, I mean, you know, prayer wrestler, good friends, godly mentors, truth tell, you know, all of these. I hope that you've been able to think of people in your life, I hope even people as a as part of this church who fit the bill there. Well, Zacchaeus, yeah, Zacchaeus probably got the not-so-subtle message a long, long time ago that, that he or she just don't fit in. The prevailing church culture, man, they just don't look the part. There's too much going on. So they stand outside the camp they're up a tree somewhere. But they still are desperately hoping to just catch a glimpse. Catch a glimpse of Jesus. For all of his wealth, I find it really interesting, fascinating even, that Zacchaeus is so drawn to Jesus. In fact, he, he, he climbs a tree just to catch that glimpse of who Jesus is. And that tells me Zacchaeus learned the same lesson that the writer of Ecclesiastes learned. Whoever loves money never has money enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. Zacchaeus has all the money in the world, but he can't buy what he's looking for. He's looking for something deeper than what wealth, money, riches can buy. So he's up a tree. And the text even says this, that he ran ahead to go climb that tree, which, again, is another fascinating detail. We speed through uh, gospel stories sometimes. We miss some of the most important details. But the the fact that he ran ahead, uh, you know, we're in a culture where, you know, every every time I leave my neighborhood, I, I see people running and jogging and staying in shape and that is fantastic you know good on you i need to do that too uh but this is that's not the point we live in a culture where you know people run everywhere you know but in the ancient world nobody ran let me rephrase it rich people didn't run if you are a person of means in the ancient world you never run you never ran anywhere and here's why right wherever you were going 
they ain't going to do anything until you get there, right? If you were a person of wealth, wherever it is you were going, you maintain that level of dignity knowing, I don't have to get in a hurry. It starts when I get there. That's how that works. <laughs> but Zacchaeus shamefully, shamelessly, recklessly running full on like just goofy elbows and knees flying running to get to this tree so he can climb up and have a spot to just catch a glimpse of jesus what does that tell you about the condition zacchaeus's heart he's desperate loneliness will make you desperate how many outcasts are in your life outcasts who are desperate to see jesus once he does once he sees jesus this story becomes a gospel story becomes a good news story and everything changes let's hear the end of the story but zacchaeus stood up and he said to the lord look lord here and now i give half of my possessions to the poor and if i have cheated anybody out of anything i will pay back four times the amount. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save what was lost. Jesus enters into the ritually unclean home of Zacchaeus in order to bring salvation. Goes into the, the dirty, unclean places bring redemption and salvation let's just let that soak in for a moment we're working our way toward the table here in just a few minutes so let's let this ground us that jesus enters into that dirty place that filthy home that ritually unclean heart he does so to bring salvation now the mutterers feel like this violates all sorts of social norms and spiritual norms, but Jesus sees this as part and parcel to his mission itself. So Zacchaeus receives Jesus into his home. I mean, what else do you do when Jesus invites himself over, right? Zacchaeus receives Jesus into his home, and that's a, that's a move that implies a lot of hospitality. You have somebody in your home, what do you do? Well, you feed them, right? And so there's this whole table thing that's, that's going on, and we wish that Luke would give us more details. He's pretty stingy about that. Instead, he fast-forwards to the key moment for Zacchaeus. It's this moment where, where something has happened. The, the transformation has, has occurred. The conversations have led to acts of, of, of penitence on, on Zacchaeus's part. You know, we wish we knew, okay, how did all that play out? But Luke just cuts to the chase and says, all right, you want to know the end of the story? This becomes a gospel story because Zacchaeus finds redemption and salvation he finds what he's looking for in jesus jesus finds him however you want to put it okay but in the end we find zacchaeus making these gestures that that demonstrate that something real has happened in his life that transformation has happened over in luke chapter 3 verse 8 john the baptist was preaching and preaching about you know bear, uh, fruit bearing fruit in keeping with repentance and that's what we see in zacchaeus when he says take all that i have here let me make things right one new testament scholar says this, when a person confessed to fraud and made voluntary restitution, the Torah required them to pay the amount stolen plus 20%. That's Leviticus 5 and Numbers 5. 
Another category, when, when an apprehended thief had to pay the victim double, according to Exodus 22, but somebody stealing what was essential to you for your life, all right, somebody stealing things like that and, and, and not being penitent about it, he was required to pay back fourfold the amount that he took. And so we see here Zacchaeus, when he's fully repentant, he's not trying to see how, how easily he can get off the hook. No, he knows what the scriptures require. He remembers hearing all that from his days back in church before he left, okay? And so he comes to Jesus and says, hey, look, whatever it is I've done wrong, like, I'm going to give half of it to the poor, and then four times what I've wrong, I'm going to make it right with people. That's fruit that's being born in keeping with repentance. And it points to the deep level of transformation that was brought about in the life and in the heart of Zacchaeus by the work of Jesus. And Jesus reinstates him. He says, this is a son of Abraham. And furthermore, he says that this change of heart that you see in Zacchaeus, it is representative of his entire redemptive program. Because this is where we get that great saying from Jesus. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. When Jesus reinstates Zacchaeus, he calls him son of Abraham. And that, that phrase may not do much for you. But know this. In ancient Israel, that was the highest compliment. In ancient Israel, to say you're a, son, a true son of Abraham, that, that is a way of saying you are now you're on the inside. You're good because you're with me, Zacchaeus. That's kind of what Jesus is saying. He's using this terminology, this language that is just loaded with, with meaning and import. He's saying, Zacchaeus, you've come home. And he says it within earshot of everybody. Even the mutterers, even those who are going to have a problem with it. He says, no, no, he's come home because salvation has come to this house this day. He is a true son of Abraham. And if anybody has a problem with it, they can take that up with Jesus. Because of Jesus, Zacchaeus is an outsider no more. And the point that the gospel is working to is all of this. That the Son of Man came to seek and save outcasts like Zacchaeus. That's the truth on an informational level. But the transformative moment is when we accept that the Son of Man came also to seek and save outcasts like you and me. So as we prepare for the table, let me just remind you, all these Jericho stories are about seeing. If we have the eyes to see the Zacchaeuses around us, the Bartimaeuses around us, maybe, maybe then, for those of us who have seen Jesus clearly, maybe we and begin to help them as they're trying to see Jesus. The tragic part of the story is Zacchaeus didn't have anybody to help him see Jesus. Neither did Bartimaeus, you know, for that matter. But these stories are entrusted to the church so that our vision might improve. So that through these stories, we could see Jesus first and foremost, absolutely, 100% all day long. But there's also this, that, that through these stories, our vision receives greater clarity so that we might begin to see those who are too easily overlooked in our midst, the outcast, the fringe personality, the person who's up a tree, the lonely reject like Zacchaeus. And that's why we have a heart. That's why we have a heart for Zacchaeus. It's because we know that we too once stood outside the camp. Because of our sinfulness, we stood estranged from God 
because of our shame, because of our guilt, whatever it is, we at one point in time stood outside of that camp. And maybe, maybe for you that experience is real even right now in this moment. But Jesus comes along and he calls us by name. And that's when everything begins to change. And when we've seen Jesus, everything is different. This word is a call to seek and save the lost. As Matt has already said this morning, God invites us to participate in that mission. But seeking and saving begins by seeing. So may we have the eyes to see those who are around us, those who are on the fringe, those lonely outcasts in our midst. We're about to share our time around the table, and for those of you who are serving us today, feel free to get up at this point and go and and make the preparations that you need to make for that. Uh, Jesus has an invitation for Zacchaeus, and it is an invitation to the table. Now again, yes, Jesus invites himself over to, to the home of Zacchaeus, but the, more, the, the deeper invitation is the invitation we receive now, where Jesus says, come and sit at my table. And so we gather today giving thanks for the one who created this community, we come today giving thanks for the one who presides over this table. And we come today giving thanks for the one who invites us in this moment despite the mutterers. <laughs> I imagine right now that any one of the angels in heaven or the demons in hell could look down on this moment and say about Jesus what the mutterers said about him when he went to Zacchaeus. He's sharing table with sinners. And to that, I would say amen. Aren't you grateful that Jesus shares table with sinners like you and me? I'm grateful that Jesus has sought us, that he's not afraid of what's in our past or even what's in our present. Jesus shares table with sinners. To that, we say amen. But not just that, that's a big part of it. And for you today, that might be enough. You might be ready to, to, to take the meal. <laughs> but it needs to be said, too, that Jesus has not only sought us, that he has saved us. And in that saving, there comes transformation. That yes, we are always aware of our sinful brokenness. But today, aren't you also glad that Jesus loves us, uh, loves us too much to just leave us there? that he has sought us, but he's also saved us, and that he's working some kind of transformation in us, much like we see in Zacchaeus as well, and that he calls us to bear fruit in keeping with repentance, to keep that penitent heart alive as we move out into the world he's called us to inhabit. Maybe today that is the word of praise that you bring to the table, the table of the Lord. Just know this, when we see Jesus, everything changes. Today I'd like to give you just a few moments of silent reflection. Normally at this time we'll read a few passages and have a few thoughts, but today I've said enough to get us there. I want to give you a few moments to just sit quietly, to reflect on what is in your heart, to commune with the one who made this possible, and then after a few moments of silence I will say our prayer for the bread and we'll begin our time of communion together. Let's reflect quietly now.
in the words of Bartimaeus. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on us. This is our prayer this morning, Father. This is our prayer as we gather around this table, Lord Jesus, that you preside over. This table that you have left us as a reminder of your enduring desire to commune and fellowship with us. Today we give thanks, Lord Jesus, that you are willing to share table with sinners like us. Give thanks for all that you've gone through to make this moment of communion possible. And Lord Jesus, we confess to you that this week, as we come to the table, for some of us, we come filled with the scars of a week that was difficult. For some of us, this was a week of falling short. It was a week of doing what we swore we would never do again. For some of us, it was a, a week of brokenness, a week of pain, a, a week of grappling with our own inability to redeem ourselves. For all of that, we are sorry. But for all the lessons we learned through that, we are grateful. And in this moment, we thank you for seeking us. And even in these moments when we might feel far away, brokenhearted even, that with you, you come near to the brokenhearted. So in this room today, I'm praying for those who come hurting, who come heavy burdened. Lord God, thank you for inviting us into your presence and sharing this table with us. We pray all of this in the name of the one who spilled his blood for us, Jesus Christ. Amen.